Hi, I'm Archie Curry. And I'm Dee Curry. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Hi, everybody, and welcome once again. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and it's a joy to be with you today on this Sunday, August 7th. Thanks for being here. We really appreciate that. Well, we are closing in on the finish line in this series, Not a Fan. I've got two more sermons for you, and then we'll be done and on to the next journey. Our scripture reference for today is John 8, verses 1 through 11. So get your Bible or Bible apps open to John 8 verses 1 to 11. It's here that we're going to address the question of the day. Do you want to be a Pharisee? Well, before we get to that point, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this amazing opportunity we have to study in your word again. Thank you for the message, Lord. I pray that the voice that people hear today is yours. The stirring in their heart is all about you. Thank you for this. To you be all honor and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. All right, let's read John 8, verses 1 through 11. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. You know, about the worst thing that you can call somebody in church is a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the bad guys in Scripture, and they always seemed to be the main group that Jesus singled out as examples of who his followers should not be like. Now, I don't want to be a Pharisee, How many of you listening or watching today want to be a Pharisee? But apparently we could become like them if we're not careful. I recently came across a list of danger signs to know whether or not you're becoming or have become a modern day Pharisee. Check this out. You might be a Pharisee if you're willing to be merciful once. You might be a Pharisee if you catch yourself saying, you aren't going to talk to me like that. You might be a Pharisee if everyone outside of your immediate circle and most within it are wrong. You might be a Pharisee if you catch yourself celebrating someone else's failure. You might be a Pharisee if you obsess over the opinions of others. You might be a Pharisee if you're utterly convinced that your own opinion is the only right one and that your efforts deserve the most credit, that your tastes are the correct ones, and that you're the one that should be talking and everybody else should be listening. You might be a Pharisee if God's still small voice sounds exactly like yours. And lastly, you might be a Pharisee if you know the word of God, 
but not the God of the Word. Amen to that. As I said moments ago, back in Jesus' day, the Pharisees were the bad guys, and Jesus was always giving them a hard time. So I don't want to be a Pharisee. I don't want to make Jesus mad. I don't want to be a fan. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to pick up my cross daily and follow him. I want Jesus to look at me on the day of judgment and say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. In fact, many years ago, we used to sing a children's song about that at First Chance Camp. Now, there are several verses to the song, but one of them went like this. Don't want to be a Pharisee. Don't want to be a Pharisee. Because they're not fair, you see. Don't want to be a Pharisee. If you'd like to listen to the song in its entirety, the real title is I Want to Be a Sheep, Ba Ba. Now, why sing that song? Because there are people who end up being Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees of Jesus' day had started out wanting to please God. They began in a day when Israel was deeply tainted with immorality and unrighteousness, and somebody needed to stand in the gap. And the Pharisees stepped up to fill that need. In an era where many Jews had abandoned the rules and laws of God, the Pharisees became like prophets to their people, pointing them back to the law of Moses and obedience to God's will. They wanted to obey every one of God's commands, and if God wasn't clear enough on what he wanted, then they created a whole bunch of new commands, 613 to be precise, so that they'd make sure they didn't miss anything. They were the equivalent of modern-day churchgoers who seriously wanted to please Jesus. These Pharisees were the religious people of the day, and they took their faith very, very seriously. Anytime people take their faith seriously, they can step over the line from pleasing God to disobeying him by becoming like the Pharisees of Jesus' day. So we want to be careful that we don't do that. Now, I want to stress here, the Pharisees didn't set out to try to make God angry. They didn't wake up every morning thinking, let's make God mad today. But they did make him mad. Why? What did they do that was so wrong that made God furious with them? Well, our text today points out three of the traps that warped the Pharisees' thinking. The first trap that warped the Pharisees' thinking was this. Rules became more important than people. You see, the Pharisees saw their rules as really important, and people became unimportant. In verses 3 through 5 of the text, we're told, The Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? And verse 6 says, they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. You see, the Pharisees were right in their accusation. This woman had been caught in adultery, and the law decreed she should die. Every Jewish rabbi would have known that. But when the Roman Empire conquered Judah, they took the power to execute wrongdoers away from the Jewish leaders. So in order to punish sinners, Jews needed to get permission from the Roman governor. So, if Jesus said the woman should be stoned, the Pharisees would have reported him to the Roman authorities and had him arrested for breaking Roman law. But if Jesus said that she couldn't be stoned because of the Roman law, then the Pharisees would have accused him of being an agent of Rome, and everybody hated the Romans. And since he was a teacher of God's law, they could have condemned him for ignoring the plain teachings of the law of Moses regarding adultery and stoning. 
It was the perfect trap. When you begin to love rules more than people, you risk becoming a Pharisee. I've seen churches where that's happened, but that's not a problem here because our leadership understands at Word of Hope that while there are rules and those rules are important, people are important too. In a previous ministry, I remember my elders confronting a person who was caught up in a certain sin. They sat down with this person and explained that what this person was doing was wrong, but they also said they would help them get counseling and would work with them in dealing with that sin. In other words, there was a rule. What had been done was sinful and would destroy that person. But that person was important too. Their life and their eternal soul were too important to just condemn and throw away. And this is really one of the lessons that God teaches us in 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. So that was the first thing that tripped up the Pharisees, was that they loved their rules more than they loved people. The second trap that warped the Pharisees' thinking was this. Their agenda became God's agenda. Well, at least in their minds. You need to understand, these Pharisees saw Jesus as an enemy of their God. Their God was on their side, and so anyone who opposed them was also opposing God. I recently read about an elder of a church who thought like that. He loved Jesus, but he developed the opinion that if he decided something was right, then it was right. And if he saw something as moral or true, God did too. How did he end up that way? Well, years before, he had been seriously burned in a fire. He recalled that it was so bad that the nurses at the hospital were worried he would never recover or survive. They told him that no one had ever been burned over that much of their body and survived, but he did. And he believed God had spared him from death so that he could do great things in the church for him. In fact, he believed that whatever decision he made must be God's decision because, after all, God had saved him from a certain death. So God must have wanted his will to prevail. Now the thing is, this can happen to anybody. It can happen to preachers, elders, deacons, Sunday school teachers, ministry leaders, and the list goes on. You can end up making Jesus your enemy by substituting your agenda for his. And if you're not careful, you won't even know that you're doing it. But there is one symptom of this dangerous attitude that should be like a road sign saying, don't go there. And what is that symptom of becoming like the Pharisees? It's when you get mad. That's right. People aren't listening to you. Your opinion is being ignored. Things aren't going your way, God's way, at church, or at work, or in the family. And so you get really angry that others aren't listening to you because your agenda is obviously right, and the others have to be wrong, and it makes you mad. Folks, if that happens to you, please, please, Pay attention, because that is a very real sign that you are in danger of becoming just like a Pharisee. So the first trap that warped the Pharisees was that their rules were more important than people. The second trap was their agenda, at least in their minds, was God's agenda. And now the third trap was that the Pharisees believed their sins could be covered up as long as they kept the rules. In other words, they felt that keeping enough rules would make them look good, if you will, even if they weren't good enough. Jesus condemned them in Matthew 23, verses 27 and 28 by saying, 
What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you're like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. The Pharisees had convinced themselves that if they could look good on the outside, that was as good as being good on the inside. In magic, that's something that's called misdirection. A good magician can fool you by getting you to look at their right hand while they palm a coin in their left. Essentially, they fool you by getting you to think one hand is more important than the other. And that's what happens to people who become like Pharisees. They fool themselves into thinking that obeying certain rules like this can be just as good as being righteous before God. This is what is called a pharisaical symptom, and the Apostle Paul wrote about it in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1, 2, and 3. And this is what he said. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. If I could speak with the tongues of angels but have no love in my heart, who am I? Nothing. If I go to church each Sunday, but don't show love, what am I? Nothing. And if I give all my money to the poor, and I really don't love folks, what am I? Nothing. If I teach Sunday school, or be a greeter, or work with a computer, but don't love folks, what am I? Nothing. Did that tambourine annoy you? <laughs> Me too. It has this annoying sound like that of a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. That's what Paul was trying to get across to us. If you get everything else right, if you have all your Christian ducks in a row, but don't have love for others, you annoy God. People who try to live by the rules think that they can get God's attention by keeping the rules. They don't realize that God can hear the rattle of sin that they try to hide. The Pharisees got most of the rules right. But they had no love for others, and that really annoyed God. Now, there's one last point I want to make here. There are people who hate the concept of Pharisees so badly that they go off the track in the other direction. They hate the morals police idea. It offends them that anyone would take a stand for morality and make them feel uncomfortable in their sins. Usually, they get upset when a Christian tries to explain why issues such as abortion, or same-sex attraction go against the word of God. So they'll quote Jesus in Matthew 7, 1 and say, don't judge others and you'll not be judged. Or they'll quote Jesus from verse 7 of our text and say, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. They're trying to imply that Jesus never taught us to judge sin, that we're never to take a stand against immorality in this world. They hate the idea of a morals police. But if you look back at the Old Testament, that's exactly what the prophets were. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, Malachi, they were all telling the people what their sins were and warning them to escape the judgment of God. But unlike the Pharisees, the prophets of old really took no pleasure in confronting people's sins and declaring God's judgment. 
Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet because it hurt him so much to face people with their sins. Jeremiah and the other prophets repeatedly warned Israel of God's coming wrath, but they took no pleasure in it. By contrast, the Pharisees would tell you that you're going to hell, and they're glad that you're going. Now, at the end of our story today, I want you to notice what Jesus says to the woman. John 8, verses 10 and 11. He says, Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now, Jesus said, did you catch that? Neither do I. In other words, I don't condemn you. That's what he's saying. Jesus didn't come to condemn anybody, folks. Do you remember John 3, 16? It says, you know, for God so loved the world. Well, in the very next verse, which we often leave out, verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn us for our sins. He came to stand in the gap. He came to take our place on the cross, to die and pay the price with his blood because our sins had already condemned us. There was a rule. The sinful must die. We had sinned and somebody had to die. And so Jesus died in our place. But it's the oddest thing about this story. It seems to be the only place in the Gospels where Jesus did not tell someone their sins were forgiven. Usually he would say, go in peace, your sins are forgiven, but not this time. This time he tells the woman, go and sin no more. In other words, leave your life of sin. She hadn't come to him for forgiveness. She was dragged there against her will. In her heart, she was still an adulteress, and she would still go to hell. And that message is still for us today as well. Go and sin no more. Leave your life of sin. Repent of what you've been doing. Stop doing it. Because when Jesus comes again, he will condemn all who live lives of sin. Let me bring the sermon to a close. Here's the deal. We're called to pick up our cross daily and follow him. If you recall the message last week, that means he wants us dead. Jesus wants us dead to our sins, dead to the things of this world. The cross, as we learned last week, was an instrument of death. And so we are called to pick that cross up daily and follow him. What does that mean? It means that we must die to our sins. And that's what Romans 6 verses 1 to 4 points out. Paul writes, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Unless we come to Jesus wanting to die to our past, we can't be forgiven. And without repentance, there is no forgiveness. That doesn't mean that you're not going to sin anymore, though. The closer you walk with God, the less you'll sin. And that will happen because you've made up your mind to die to sin and not let it rule you anymore. It will happen because you've set your heart toward God and you've turned away from your past. And that, my friends, is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and not a fan. To God be the glory.
And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.